my Lord and my God. I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. During these past weeks, we have been contemplating our Lord's preparation for his passion and death. And we find ourselves spellbound by all that Jesus did, all he suffered, to liberate us from the bondage of sin. All that he did in order to restore our freedom. On Holy Saturday, we read from an ancient homily that depicts Jesus uh, after his death, descending to what is referred to as the hell of the just, where he first seeks out Adam and Eve. And he says to Adam, I order you, O sleeper, to awake. I did not create you to be held a prisoner in hell. Rise from the dead, for I am the life of the dead. Rise up, work of my hands, you who were created in my image. Rise, let us leave this place, for you are in me, and I am in you. Together we form only one person, and we cannot be separated. How moving to hear Jesus say, work of my hands you who were created in my image. Let us leave this place because I want you to be free. What a wonderful topic for us, what a wonderful reality for us to pray about and to search for ways of getting our freedom correct. It is no surprise that there are a lot of erroneous notions of freedom. It's not a surprise because this has been going on since the dawn of creation. We can't forget that the original temptation was, just think of it, you will be as gods. You will be able to call the shots on your own without any, any reference to God the creator. The battle has been going on for a long time. And what it comes down to, as we contemplate society and all the turf wars going on, it really does come down to whether or not we are creatures, whether or not we are completely on our own, or if we are creatures, whether we have to pay attention to what our Creator has in store for us. And much depends on getting that answer right. As we observe things happening in society, we see a lot of mistaken notions of freedom and the resulting consequences. Pope Francis wrote, some people think that they are free if they can avoid God. They fail to see that they remain existentially orphaned, helpless, and homeless. They cease being pilgrims. They become drifters. Now, a vision of freedom 
that has no relationship to God and his plan for us, it is an interesting temptation. This notion of, of freedom without limits, but it does not respond to reality. Because the reality of things is that our freedom is a gift. It is a gift from the person who created us. You might recall these really insightful words of Pope Benedict in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, where he says, man's real sin, his deepest temptation is hubris. The arrogant presumption of autonomy that leads man to put on the airs of divinity, to claim to be his own God in order to possess life totally and to draw from it every last drop of what it has to offer. Man's true peril consists in the temptation to ostentatious self-sufficiency. Those are very deep, very powerful words. For us to wrap our head around it, around that thought, all we have to do is think of the adventures of the prodigal son, who fell for that temptation to ostentatious self-sufficiency and ended up being a drifter and without happiness. Life really is a great adventure. It's an adventure about how we are going to understand our freedom and how we're going to use it. It's an adventure because God has chosen to take a risk, the risk of allowing us to exercise our freedom. He has given us that capacity to choose, to love the good, the capacity, if we want to, to respond to his love with love. But as we know from the necessity for our Lord's suffering and, and dying on the cross, man also exercised in a very poor way his freedom by choosing to separate himself from God. Well, these days, whenever we open the newspaper and read about various people's way of choosing to exercise their quote-unquote freedom, we shake our heads say, well, what's going on here? There is a, a new twist to understanding freedom, a lot of different ways of labeling it. But what it comes down to is focusing on the possibility of choice without reference to what is chosen. What we have learned from the one who created us and who redeemed us is that it is the truth that will set us free. But if we were to walk in any, into any college classroom, any lecture hall, if we were to say that it is the truth that will make you free, the chances are rather high that we would be scoffed at. People saying, well, what, what do you mean by truth? If we dare to use this term postmodern, we could say in postmodern freedom, the existence of objective truth is denied. And the key value is that you have chosen. Whatever it is that that person has chosen, the fact is that they have chosen. But you disconnect freedom from truth, and all bets are off. Because the problem is then, you're dealing with a conception of freedom that is not true. If freedom is a gift, and you ignore the gift, and you ignore the, the giver, you're dealing with a vision of freedom that makes no sense. Then we pay the consequences. These words we considered a few minutes ago from Benedict are really powerful. The arrogant presumption of autonomy 
that leads man to put on the airs of divinity to claim to be his own God. And that is man's true peril. Well, how do we get a sense of what freedom really is meant to be? How do we get God's vision of freedom? The Lord himself said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. For Jesus, obeying the Father is what nourishes him, what gives him strength. And so it should be for us. As we watch the Lord hasten towards Jerusalem, so eager to to fulfill that will of the Father, we are seeing a mesmerizing vision of what true freedom is. It is love. He freely, willingly, passionately hastened to his own destruction. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. We think about our own use of freedom, and we very lovingly and very, very willingly latch on to this vision of freedom as passionately seeking God's will for each one of us. And why? Because we are God's children. We are his creatures, not his slaves, but his children. And that conviction of our divine filiation, the fact that we are his children, that conviction leads to great interior freedom, to deep joy and to the serene optimism of hope. Thank goodness that Jesus told us a parable of the prodigal son. It was his way of capturing in a very simple story the essence of the human experience. This temptation to ostentatious autonomy can lead to an illusory sense of of being on our own. But after a time we come to realize this is not the source of happiness. I am most happy when I am in my father's house, when I am very actively seeking his will, when I'm actively and consciously loving. Then I am truly free, I am filled with joy, and with a serene optimism of hope. And interestingly, to the extent that we come to realize that we are God's children, We then look around us at this society of ours, our world, and we love this world. So often when we pray together, we end up thinking inevitably about our mission in this world, about this mission of ours to identify all the different struggles, the different sources of confusion, to make sense of them, and to very freely and lovingly come to the conclusion Well, I have to find ways of passing on to my friends, colleagues, family members, this vision of what freedom really and truly is all about. Every day we come in contact with a lot of different people. It is so compelling, so so attractive to develop the habit of looking at those around us and thinking to ourselves, this person, that other person, in fact, everyone here is my brother and sister. We are all in this together. The ultimate goal is for all of us to get to heaven. And as part and parcel of that pilgrimage, it's up to me to find ways of passing on this understanding of our freedom, of engaging in these people, 
creating bonds of unity. Now, why talk about bonds of unity? Because what we see around us these days is the opposite. We see a lot of conflict, a lot of disagreement, a lot of people just refusing to talk to other people because they have differing opinions. It's always helpful to realize that one of Satan's favorite tactics is to introduce division. Wherever he finds more than one person gathered together, he'll do whatever he can to, to introduce division, disharmony. One of his favorite tricks these days is to do so by inserting into, the, into discussion a very artificial vision of freedom. Ultimately, the attitude that thinking is out of fashion. What counts is what one person or another person wants. A lot of emotion, a lot of, a lot of coming to this conclusion, I don't care what you think, I don't want to know what you think, I just know that you and I don't, we don't have the same opinions, so there's nothing to talk about. St. Josemaria wrote way back in the mid-50s, one of the clearest characteristics of the spirit of Opus Dei is its love for freedom and for the need to understand others. The need to understand others. You will be fascinated to know some thoughts written by the current prelate of Opus Dei shortly after his election last year. He was very concerned about helping all of us to spread this vision of things in society, this vision of the importance of uniting rather than disuniting. For example, we have to develop an open mentality that enables us to dialogue with everyone. The full sentence is the following. We have to have deep human, professional, and doctrinal formation and a strong presence in whatever forum we have access to. With an open mentality that enables us to dialogue with everyone. We have to know how to take others seriously, which means listening to people, listening with a real desire to find out all that they're thinking. This will foster the sort of empathy that makes the Christian view of reality convincing because it makes us aware of the existential questions of our neighbor and keeps us from becoming strident or falling into a monologue. It was fun to send those thoughts to a very thoughtful person a couple of months ago, someone who responded saying, I am really taken with that piece you sent me. This idea of dialogue versus monologue. These are very hard times to really speak to others. All sides now are guilty of having entrenched positions. Each of us has experienced this. It's really hard to really and truly communicate because people right away will say, I have this label for you, therefore I know everything that you think and there's nothing to talk about. Well, the person who was writing this mentioned that he has been studying recently St. Thomas Aquinas. All the way back in the 13th century, St. Thomas, before giving his own answer to any question, he first outlines very accurately the opposite position. 
so accurately that I often find myself agreeing with the wrong answer. Then I read that during his time, debate consisted of each opponent articulating the view of the other. It was only then that he or she could respond on a way that was really and truly communicating. Well, of course, that has been lost in so many circles these days. But it's crucial to listen, to develop the capacity to say, well, let me summarize what my understanding of what you think. And you tell me what I'm missing. And only then, if we really get an understanding that is accurate, can we then hold forth and come in the opposite direction also. That's really interesting. Because underlying that approach is the passionate desire, let's get to the truth of this. I am perfectly willing to change my opinion if I discover, in your opinion, the truth. What is so compelling about our vision of freedom is that it has content. We can finish with just a couple of sentences from a recent letter by the current prelate of Opus Dei, where he talks about this possibility of having genuine content. Who is freer than the one who is the Almighty? He did not, however, live his freedom as an arbitrary power or as domination. He lived it as a service. In this way, he filled freedom with content, which otherwise would have remained an empty possibility of doing or not doing something. Ultimately, freedom draws its meaning from love. Christian freedom consists in following Christ in the gift of self, even to the sacrifice of the cross. We finish, as we always do, by turning to Our Lady, who was so completely free. And because of her freedom, because of her great love for her son, she was inseparable. She was there following him along his way of the cross, freely, agonizingly, but freely, uniting herself to the will of her son, who was fulfilling the will of his father. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this time of prayer. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.